We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers got their sixth win in their last seventh games with a blowout over the Utah Jazz, who didn't really show up for that game, but the Lakers sure did. And... uh for just from start to finish, an excellent performance from a, a team that this has been a stretch of games D against teams that are not very good. But oftentimes, uh, especially early in the season, I think it's way more about your team than it is about the other team. And we've seen this Lakers team play poorly to very poorly against uh, teams that are not very good. And so I, I feel like over this last, you know, couple of weeks or so, there's been a decent amount of progress, uh, of which the wins have corresponded to that. Anthony Davis looked great. He had this one play last night where he got a rebound in traffic and he just like exploded out of the pack with a dribble and like dribbled it past half court with a speed dribble that I, I, I don't know. I just hadn't seen him do something like that in a minute. And they're posting up more. Uh, LeBron moved into, I think, seventh all time on the three point shooting list. And he's been a sniper to start this season. So, uh, you know, good vibes right now, D. Uh, you are having your flu game today, playing hurt. A- appreciate oh, you. <laughs> Seriously. But through the fog, man, what did you see? So I certainly agree that they look like a team that's coming together a bit to me. I think it was last night's game. Um, LeBron had sort of said, you, you know, we still don't have all of our guys. And like, we still don't quite know what we are yet. And I think that that's true. Um, but it's never too early to start to build the habits of a team that you want to be so that when the players who are gone do get to be back, they integrate themselves into the structure that already exists rather than sort of hanging out and waiting for those guys to come in. That was the mistake I thought that the Lakers made a couple of seasons ago in Vogels last year where they, um, they had so many guys out, but they leaned on that a lot as sort of the reason why they weren't um, the version of the team that they wanted to be. And this team has had a lot of guys out, Mike. Um, and they added another to the list last night with with Cam Reddish, who 
went out with um, some sort of growing injury. There, there weren't a lot of updates af- like after last night's game, but um, you add Reddish to Bando and um, Gabe, and there's just a lot of guys that you wish like, oh, those are important players. Cam wasn't projected to be a part of the rotation before the season started, I don't think, but he certainly played his way in. But the Lakers look like they're playing together defensively. There's a level of activity that they're showing on that side of the ball. Mike, I thought your hit yesterday before the game talking about offensive rebounding was a very good explainer, both about what the Jazz do, but also about like the Lakers and like what the Lakers could be doing more of. And they seem to be finding their stride in terms of what they want to be on both sides of the ball, which is way more of a power team um, offensively mm-hmm. than I think that they thought they were going to be when they came into the season. And um, defensively, a much more aggressive team, I think, than the version that they were last season, where they yes. mostly sat in a drop and waited for guys to come to AD, where he where he would then protect the basket. And, and so that learning period that Pete mentioned, we're in the midst of it now, but I think that's bearing fruit, and this team is starting to establish a real identity. Well, of course what you're saying is true, but... For all of the talk, it seemed like I had Pete coming along in the in-season tournament. Not even a mention of it <laughs> to start the pod. I'm sorry. No, nothing. <laughs> Just Pete wants to see more competitive regular season games. And I give it to him through the in-season tournament where they are battling for basically 48 minutes and, and leaving it out there and going 4-0 with a plus-minus differential, a point differential that may stick for years of plus 74 in terms of the group stage, but nope, not enough to make the pod for Pete. It's a, the, the greatest point differential in in-season tournament history. Yes. I, Mike, I, I think this might disappoint you, but the reasons I like the in-season tournament, I think are different than yours. Uh, and it's been great. Like, Hey, it, it don't matter. You know, we, we end up at the same place, but the, like the standings of it and all of that, like I'm not super into, but I, I love the fact that Again, the the games have a little bit of juice. Although Utah didn't really show up for that one, Lakers played great throughout the the tournament, though. Yeah, but and that's that's the point, though. Even though Utah in this case didn't really bring a lot of juice, uh, the game still felt different uh, being in the arena, mm-hmm. and it was still interesting in terms of what the point differential was. Uh, not, I'm not saying for everybody, but for me, and I think the players have really the concept of it that they can grasp very easily is the money part. And not that that's probably the most fun part for the fans to hear, uh, but it's it's sort of like if they actually do win, then I think fans will be happy to be able to claim that. And, you know, I, I certainly understand why the players, and especially the ones that aren't making a lot of money, um, are yeah. interested in, in the financial part of it. But it's a, I, I was half kidding, uh, but I do think that it's significant. So take out the whole, just the in-season tournament functionality. And the Lakers now, instead of having a road game that would have been just tougher to win from a regular season standpoint um, at a Minnesota or Sacramento, are now going to host somebody. Um, and, and that part is meaningful, I think. But let, let's put that aside for a moment, as you did intentionally, Pete, um, and talk about <laughs> the actual basketball. I want to start with the reddish injury. You know, Darius just went through this a little bit, but you now have your three point of attack defenders uh, all potentially out. I don't think that it's serious um, with Reddish, but even a non-serious groin injury can be can take a little time. Mm-hmm. And we saw that Max Christie got that next man up uh, 
you know, possibility to join the rotation. And I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. Um, now, of course, Utah was not doing much. So we'll see. But so that's one element of it. And then the other one is is just thinking about like the uh, Jared Vanderbilt. When is he going to return? And can he slide into that spot? And it, it, it I don't think it's going to be next game, but it could be on the trip. So um, what do you guys think the impact of that is? Yeah, it's usually when you get down to your fourth string, your fourth string of anything in the NBA, you're in some serious trouble. I remember at the end of the 2021 season, we had a bizarre string of injuries where it was like every ball handler that we had was out at the same time. And so we had possessions where like Kuz was bringing the ball up the floor. And I brought this up on the pod before. And it's like, that's not why Kuz is in the league. That's not why he made the league. It's not what he does. And that was part of like watching Max last night. D was like... Our fourth string point of attack guy, quote unquote, is like, that's what he does for a living. Darvin had some interesting quotes about how they want him to get better at navigating on ball screens. They really like him on the off ball screens, but as a point of attack guy, which basically just means you're guarding the main guy that has the ball on the other team on the perimeter. uh, That is something that you have to do a lot, right? Navigate around those screens. But I think, especially in a, the place that Max is in right now, for one, this is a great opportunity. I think we we all had this like, oh, crap, look at Cam. The moment that he got around a lot more organization, meaning that over the course of the preseason, he was playing with these lineups that were very discombobulated with or without him in you know coming off of the bench. All of a sudden, you put structure around him in LeBron and AD groups. Give him a very specific job, give him very specific reads and, you know, out of the corner. All of a sudden, he looks like a better player. I think Max can do that. It won't look the same as Reddish, but I think that in a lot of ways, I mean, we saw Max start the third quarter. Uh, he had five rebounds and four assists. And this is going to be a time for him where it's like, you don't have to emulate what what Cam was, what Vando was, what Gabe can be. But I think it's a great opportunity for him to find himself. And something like the five rebounds, for example, is something that he can do that the other guys in the backcourt don't really do. And and so curious your thoughts on Max, man. This is a big opportunity for him. It definitely hurts the Lakers. We got Luka and Kyrie tonight, right? Uh, talk about needing point of attack defense. Uh, that's going to be a huge challenge. But I, I think I'm kind of struck at how many point of attack guys that we have in that by the time we get to the fourth stringer, it's still what that guy does for a living. Yeah, I was happy to see Max get a little bit of run. Obviously, the circumstances in which that happened were not ideal, and Darwin said something similar post-game. Darwin's comments about Max getting up into ball handlers in terms of screen navigation was an important point, and, and it's something that we don't often hear discussed around um, screen navigation. Is like, oh, well, you're trying to screen me. Um, let me get up into your body a little bit. Let me try to knock you off of the line. Let me try to dictate the terms of, of engagement rather than just worry about the screen navigation. And um, Darwin wanting to see more from Max in, in, in that area, I think is um, good coaching, really. Mm-hmm. And I was actually happy to sort of hear Darwin say something that's like not just outwardly positive about a very specific player like mm-hmm. just because Darwin doesn't do a lot of that in public and so I thought it was good to sort of hear like aspirational stuff for him right the one thing I'm super interested in seeing from Max is is actually more about his offensive development rather than his defensive development he made 
really big strides over the summer as an on-ball player. And, and I think he got a lot of shine because of that. But he still seems a bit uncertain, Pete, around like what his reads are and like how he wants to attack. He's still not hitting the three ball with as much regularity like as you would like. He did get one to fall last night, Mike, which I think was important for him. But the more reps that he can get, hopefully he will find his comfort level on on that end because it's hard. It's hard to not play at all and then come in and be like, oh, yeah, make your two shots that you get. That's not super realistic, but um, I'm – I'm wanting to see him make a little bit more or a few more strides offensively. Yeah, I, th- I think Pete made the point to start this. And then, you know, Darius, you just supported it, though. When when you can put a guy into structure and ask for specific things and not ask for more than that, that's what helped Reddish. I think that's going to help Christie. And, and so it is a little bit of a plug and play, much differently from if LeBron or if AD goes out. Uh, that's, that's one. Separate yeah. those two. And then... If Russell or Reeves go out, same thing. There aren't the guys. You have to have a certain level of skill mm-hmm. you know, and know how to be able to do those jobs. And that's mm-hmm. where no NBA team can, you know, can lose a guy like that and and not feel it. But you can use like a specific role player um, to plug into that spot, I think, and, and have that be uh, have that function a little bit better. So it leads me back Pete, to just where the roster is at in general and what we thought of it before the season started and what we think of it now. They've been beating up on some bad teams and or injured teams, but looked good doing it, which is significant. And the games that they lost, Anthony Davis missed the second half of the Miami game. Anthony Davis missed the entire Houston game, the game at Denver, the season opener. Like that was a tough game. Uh, And so, you know, it's the two games that I think were the annoying ones. Well, I guess there were three. There was the Orlando game just in terms of the effort and the energy from everybody. But the the two Sacramento games where it seemed like the Lakers just weren't quite playing the right lineups uh, and, you know, kind of weren't doing the right things to beat that Sacramento team. But I don't I don't think that that showed some glaring weakness that the Lakers can't overcome sure. as the season goes on. So it's an interesting spot for the team to be in where I think there's enough there you know, for them to be a really good team. Is there enough there to actually go all the way? The, you know, that that's where I think when you, when LeBron gets asked this question and he did again last night, it's like, well, I, I don't know. We haven't seen the full team yet. I just would posit as a response, and not that I said this to LeBron directly, but I don't know that in the NBA, the modern NBA, it doesn't seem like any team is ever going to be whole except for mm-hmm. Sacramento last regular season and Denver in the postseason. You know, it seems like everybody is missing at least a guy. Uh, and so can the Lakers still... Can they find what they are with, you know, even when there's always going to be at least one or two guys out? And and I think they're getting a little bit closer this last week. And I think a big part of that has been on the defensive end. The Lakers have shot up to 10th in defensive rating after a rough start. So let's take a break here. Come back. I want to talk to you guys some more about the Lakers defense. So one of the things I'm trying to do right now is eat better, but that can be difficult to do during the NBA season and all of the responsibilities that I have. And so I recently joined Factor, and Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service to help me do that. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for your healthy lifestyle while tackling all of your holiday to-dos. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat them up and enjoy. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh and never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. 
If you're looking for a special occasion meal during the holidays, you can level up with Gourmet Plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Enjoy premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus, with no microwave required. Ready in just two minutes, with no prep and no mess. I ordered the Chef's Choice option to get a variety of their different meals. Head to factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 and use code LakerFilm50, all one word, to get 50% off. That's code LakerFilm50 at factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 to get 50% off. So, Darius, your observation about the Lakers being more of a power team on offense and more of an aggressive team on defense, I think is really spot on. And I think that that is exhibiting itself on the defensive end in ways where, I don't know, man, I think there's a monster lurking underneath the surface defensively when you get your, usually when a team is down their main guys that guard the main guy on the other team, their defense suffers tremendously even against like that's a team that has Jordan Clarkson right he Keontae George these guys can score they have a lot of guys like that and the Lakers the last few games have have really kind of turned the screws defensively and a lot of it is built off of ball pressure and deflections this is a team that I think we have six or seven guys with wingspans over seven feet and several of them are perimeter players. And so when you combine that together, I want to get into this more. This might not be the pod to entirely do it, but I think that this is one of those com- skills that stack well on each other, right? Some parts of the game, you can have too many like on-ball scorers, for example, and they kind of step on each other's toes. But if you have a rangy athlete with motor and length combined with another one, and then another one on the back line and Anthony Davis, and then LeBron lurking and jumping passing lanes and getting out into into transition, I think that there is a potential cohesiveness in that aggressiveness on the defensive end and then the power post-up game, you know, bigger lineup type of thing on the offensive end that we're just seeing little bits of that you can't really fully realize until more of the guys get back. But like Mike said, like who that's not that's not guaranteed at all right like this idea that oh when we're healthy we really gotta stop thinking in in those terms and you know playing with the team that you have like you were saying earlier d and so that i see and it's it's so exciting to see the change philosophically defensively toward that more aggressive style because there were lineups earlier in this year where it was like oh we're they're finally playing that big unit that we want to see them play but they're in a two three zone and it's super passive right and so seeing that aggressiveness with the bigger groups man i'm just really excited about where this is going darius can you just explain a little more of what exactly that means like the defense is being more aggressive like what how Within the context of some of their their individual defenders, they have some individual defenders, specifically with Cam, who who are just more ball hockey type of guys, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I go back to like um, when I was um, a bigger NFL fan. There were defensive backs that were just like, oh, they were always in the right place. And they were making it hard for the offensive guy to catch the ball and to say, okay, well, like you're doing your job as, mm-hmm. as a defensive back. And then there were the defensive backs that were just like, oh, like I'm cutting this route early. I'm trying to get a deflection. I'm, I'm trying to get an interception. This and ball is mine. The, yes. And Reddish plays like way more like that defensively. And so he pops in that regard, Mike, but, in terms of like the team structure, they have not been doing this as much, but they have been playing like higher 
with their with their bigs like in pick and roll coverage and when Pete highlighted this in in the reddish video but AD is when AD is the guy that's stepping up higher mm-hmm. within a pick and roll and then the guard or the guy who is navigating the screen is chasing over the top like we are then seeing guys get way more deflections like even last night austin on the ball was just like like i'm just gonna pressure the ball more i'm going to play with high hands i'm gonna try to get deflections d'angelo russell is getting more like more deflections this year just all of these guys are basically like well I'm just not going to sit back and passively let you attack me. Like Austin, don't get me wrong. Austin and Dilo are getting attacked some, like like some sometimes, and well, they're giving up shots. At, you got to attack yes. back when that happens. Yes, but it's not just a one side thing anymore, Mike. It, and so, in terms of like what I'm seeing, it's just way more activity in passing lanes. Um, it's way more activity in terms of the back pressure and with the big stepping up higher in screen actions sort of shrinking that zone that the ball handler has to operate in and the ball handlers just being disrupted more and more and more and cam had this great steal i think it was against van vliet where van vliet went over the top of the screen um the big stepped up a little bit higher and then Van Vliet basically snaked the screen in order to try to escape dribble to his left hand. Cam just continued to chase mm-hmm. and poke the ball away. And it's like that sort of like mentality of chase, 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 um, and then be aggressive with how you're reaching for, for the ball and not just getting quote unquote back into the play when they're getting back into the play they're looking to make something happen and it's leading to turnovers and we all know that this team is going to be at their best when they are in transition and playing in early offense and this defense aids in that and if i could just add one thing to that mike just reemphasize the point that the personnel here really matters if you think about like cam reddish versus fred van vliet who's one of my favorite dudes in the nba undrafted guy how tall is van vliet mike like in real life. Yeah, I mean, six foot at best. Right. And you got Reddish. I mean, he's yeah. a good athlete at six, 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 seven, right? And Van Vliet, with all of his craft and all of his know how and intensity, at some point that runs out. Like one thing, I'm not I'm not the biggest guy. And uh when I was a coach, one thing that was really effective in using that was it was a great way of illustrating technique. In my younger days, when I could get on the floor with floor with the guys, you'd get one of the better athletes, like, okay, guard me on this action that we're teaching. And I'd use some technique, right, that would get get me open and that would work, right? And then I go to, uh, I was an assistant, part-time assistant at a D1 school and had this kid, Mo, what was Mo's name? I had this kid, Mo, who was like 6'6", with long arms, rangy athlete. I tried the same shit against him, absolutely not. Because his recovery speed and the, like, the, the, I used the move, I did the thing right. It just didn't create enough space because at some point you run out of that gap between like the move I use works, but the guy against me has so much of an athletic advantage. And so there's to me- There's levels, there's levels of this stuff. A hundred percent. And 
to me that like having the personnel to have really long arms that can also cover distance with your feet. That's part of why I'm excited about the Cam and Vando combination. And it's one of the things that's different about, say, having Dennis as the guy that does that. Dennis is going to win the ground game. He's going to beat you to the spot. He's going to get strips down low. Gabe's really good at getting strips down low as well. Um, But he's not going to back pressure in a way where it's like, oh, I can't raise up for this jump shot right now because I'm going to get it blocked from behind. Or if a guy like Van Vliet does execute a good move when, you know, Dennis is when Dennis is uh, weight is leaning in one direction, then he will get open on that. But a guy like like Cam, like Vando, even Max has this, you know, in a much younger type of player, the personnel, the size and the length and the athleticism really makes up for a lot. And when you've got multiple guys that do that, you can play a style of defense that really turns teams over and gets teams out into transition. This was exactly the style of uh, of defense that I that I coached, Mike. So I I am extremely excited if this is the direction we're going in. Well, to stay in the immediate or kind of go back to the immediate, it's going to be interesting to see how that works against Luca and Kyrie as the secondary mm-hmm. and a Dallas team that's just a little bit bit different from last year in that they have Grant Williams and they have Lively uh, inside. And, you know, the Mavs, they have lost two in a row, but they're just they're just a more sensible sort of organized basketball team than they were <laughs> last year when mm-hmm. they were kind of a mess. And I'm even if so, even if Reddish is out and if Christie can approximate what he's doing there and the rest of the defense is is activated and in this case you get a particularly motivated christian wood um who certainly mm-hmm. as if you follow him on twitter in the offseason wants to <laughs> to give it to dallas in a certain way i'm curious how how the defense can work with a player like luca that I'm trying to think when's the last time the lakers saw out of these last last several games somebody that even approximates what Luca can do. I mean, I mean, Durant, who Suns, approximates but, what Luca does really, well, you know, LeBron, like, LeBron. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, but, <laughs> yeah. but at least I'm saying like a, a real alpha number one score, like, sure. you know, probably not since Jokic, Mike, not since yeah. opening night. Yeah. That, and I think their size is super important in this context too, and that he's six, eight on top of it. So let's take one more break. Keep up this conversation about defense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it's interesting about the Dallas game. Like, I feel like the Lakers may be a little short just in terms of Me what too. they have defensively against this specific Mavs team. Prince is going to compete. Like we were talking about Prince a little bit last night. Prince is a common topic in our text thread, and he's been coming up a lot more lately, mostly because he has not been making jump shots. But last night when we were talking about Prince, we were really, I think, highlighting how competitive he is defensively and, and really competitive all of the work yeah. that he's doing mm-hmm. on that end of, of the floor. Um, and Mike, this may go back to one of your common trends, which is basically like, was he asked to guard this much in Minnesota? Was he asked to guard this much in, in Atlanta? And if he wasn't, maybe that's why you could shoot 40% on threes mm-hmm. and not really suffer with your legs being tapped the way that um, they might be now. I'm not trying to make excuses for Prince. He's getting a lot of good looks offensively. Yeah, I think he's in um, his head too on, on top of it, but yeah. 100%. But it's just like, at least with Prince and a second guy, um, particularly Vando, like I'm not even sure if Cam would have been like quote unquote big enough to deal with Luca. Like Luca's just a whole different type of guy. Like I actually want Vando in yeah. this matchup. And and if we recall last year, Vando had a really good defensive game against Luca. Luca won his share of those battles, but Vando won his share too. It was just like, oh wait, that's when Vando was sort of a revelation, like, oh wait, you can do this? Absolutely. And I, I would argue that's a big part of the personnel, right? In, in that I agree that I I think that even if Cam were healthy, I think he's a little too short to impact Luca to the same degree that Vando can. But one of the things, and I highlighted this in that Reddish video, is with the taller, bigger type of ball handlers, we grew up on Magic Johnson, D, and he would have access to passing lanes over the top that other players that normally handle the ball simply don't. And when you can put a guy on him like Vando, a guy like uh, like Vando on Luca, all these sorts of over-the-top passes that Luca's so brilliant at, he can still get them off, but Vando's going to win some of them. And even if he doesn't get the deflection, one of the things that we would try to uh, encourage when running a trapping style defense is like high hands. That's a big part of that is making sure your hands are up and active and in the passing lanes. And even if you don't deflect it, you force the passer to put a little more arc on it, which puts, if that's Anthony Davis in a one by two on the weak side, or even LeBron James, he can jump that passing lane. And so it all kind of ties together in a way that I I think we're a little shorthanded for tonight, Mike, but I do think that long-term against a team like Dallas, the the personnel we have can kind of fit that. I was in the locker room last night waiting for LeBron and AD to start talking and Vanderbilt was in there with his clothes on and he was kind of sitting over by where Reddish was and but right next to Torian Prince. And Vanderbilt is significantly taller than Torian Prince. Like sometimes, you know, just mm-hmm. standing next to each other. Uh, and I think he may have had some of the, you know, Vando sometimes wears a little eccentric uh, clothing. And <laughs> he may have had some higher shoe bottoms or something, but nonetheless, sure. you know, he's, he's big, like he's a, he's a big guy. And even though he's wiry, he's just a little bit taller sometimes, I think, than, um, than you imagine based on the way that he plays and, and how good he is at getting through screens and how good he is at sticking with guards and all that. So on the, I was thinking about him in, in the one hand of the point of attack and this aggressive defensive style. And then the other, Darius hinted at this earlier, but the offensive rebound focus that has been, which I wasn't aware of really until last night, which has been a focus, I think, of some analytics staffs. And it came up because 
Will Hardy, the jazz coach, got asked an offensive rebounding question and he went into his the kind of philosophy on it. And his summary was, yeah, our analytics guys told us that crashing the glass with as many guys as you can is worth it in terms of, you know, all of the different metrics relative to the risk of getting run on in transition, which goes against some kind of traditional NBA thought in uh, in many ways. And some coaches who were just like, we're not going to crash at all. I don't want to get beat on defense. I just thought about it in the context of Vanderbilt. If you have him out there on the court and he's one of those guys that not only can crash, but can then sprint back and just mm, and mm-hmm. you sort of get the benefit of both. And Reddish is a guy like that. Um, Austin is a guy like that. Maybe AD isn't. So I, I don't want to derail us, but I want to at least put that into this, this aggressive scheme, Pete. I wonder if you can, if you can also correlate that sum with the glass and if you can kind of do both. Well, I think it has a lot to do with sizing up, just playing bigger players. Like, if you think about this Lakers roster, the the group that started the season was literally the smallest group that they possibly could have out there amongst their perimeter players. Every other player, like if they could put any other player in that trio back there and they would be bigger. And so- Except for Gabe. Gabe was the only guy that it's just like, you could have added Gabe there, but it's just like- So yes, but but even Gabe has a level of physicality. Yeah, like Gabe, I I would argue that Gabe is more physical than D'Lo- Torian or Austin, right? And so from that perspective, like if you want to crash the offensive glass, like that requires a level of size and athleticism and physicality to be able to win those battles and to not lose those battles on the other end. And that all ties in D2 to the idea also of like, it's easy to think of defense as a thing where you're passive. So even the whole mentality that Mike was talking about of like, oh, we don't want to crash the offensive glass because we might give up something in transition. You are in a naturally protective state. That's the decision that you're making. Like, oh, I want to protect against this. But if you can change your mentality and you have the guys to do it, very important to being attacking on defense, I would argue that's exactly what the 2020 the 2020 team was. And if you can do that, you use the phrase earlier, dictate the terms, D. You dictate the terms to the offense. Yeah. They can't do the things that they want to do if you play that style. 100%. And, and this is why it's just like I know that we talked earlier and I brought this up myself about, you you know, like, oh, you can't rely on like when guys get back, when guys get back. but the potential to have Vando and Cam both available at the same time while also having the Lakers skill guards. To me, the potential of moving Prince to almost being a full-time guard rather than yes. a forward at all. Um, there's a lot of potential here with this group to basically be a very um, oppressive defense. Yes, yes. And the way that you can have AD and LeBron on the back line. LeBron's going to, uh, like, it's not showing up, I don't think, like, um, in terms of, like, his career numbers with, like, steals and whatnot. And I, I think he's averaging, like, a steal a game or whatever. Like, he's jumping passing lanes. He's 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 getting steals. Reddish is doing this. AD, I think, last game was the first game he hadn't, like, that he didn't get a block in mm-hmm. who knows how how many games, but he had two steals. Mm-hmm. And, and and so the ability for all of these guys to basically say, yeah, guess what? Nothing easy. Like, all of these planes of access, right, that you think you have with these passes, we have guys who can access yep. these yep. with with their arms. Um, Rui is great at this, too, where he's just like, I'm just going to play high hands. I'm yes. just going to be active. And yes. 
you throw in like Rui, LeBron, AD, Cam, Bando. Even Hayes, like, man. Hayes closed out to, I think, Agbaji last night in the corner on a swing swing that nine times out of 10, that's an open corner three, but he got there in time because he's got such incredible closing speed and athleticism. Like he's a way better perimeter defender than he is an interior defender. And he took it away and Agbaji shuffled his feet. It forced a travel call. So even if you don't get the deflection, you speed up the other team in ways that they're not used to. And then even Prince, like Prince is a six six guy, right? It's like, okay, when he's playing small forward, the physicality is not really mm-hmm. there. But if you put him a shooting guard, yep. it's just like, okay, like he could guard some of these other dudes. And and then we've said this before, but like D'Lo and Austin being quote unquote your point guards, Austin's six five. Mm-hmm. D'Lo's six five, six six, like these are big guards. And, 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 and so, so now all of a sudden you have a team built around a concept, right? Like it's not a lot. Oftentimes we talk about these guys individually, D, but it's like when it's the five man unit has its own personality of its own that, like you said, could be very oppressive. 100%. And, and so we're like forecasting out here and like we're less about the Mavs right now, but I'm super excited about what this team could potentially be defensively one of the things though that i wanted to bring back up to you guys before we close is we just talked about how the lakers might be a guy or two short in terms of their defense against the Mavs, but offensively the Mavs can't stop anyone right right and so where do you guys see the lakers and the style that they've been developing offensively as like a more power team with LeBron driving and playing through AD in the post and, and that idea even Rui sort of being like hey like ISO rip baseline like he had Chris Dunn on him and he's just like yeah you're a guard like I know you're a physical guard but you're a guard like I'm putting you in the basket and they're they've been doing way more of that and so how do you just to pivot the conversation for, for this last stretch, how do you see the Lakers offense doing tonight against a Mavs team that has not been able to get as many stops as they've like defensively? Well, I was just going to stop you at AD in the post. Uh, that's the thing that I've been enjoying the most these last couple games and watching him go 10 for 13 and 11 for 14 or whatever it is against these small guys uh, that aren't as quick and aren't as long and can't keep him off the glass and can't keep him from doing what he wants. And I think that you know, Dallas can like Lively's not going to be able to guard him at all, and they they could try Grant Williams on him. Grant Williams can't guard him. Uh, you know, so I just I think that this is a this is the type of matchup where you're going to spam Luca, um, and the Lakers don't really have a great matchup for him because almost nobody does. But and even though they they also you know don't have somebody ideal for LeBron, I just think that the leaning into Davis and activating him that way. Um, has been in, enjoyable. And so, Pete, I'm not even analyzing anything else. I'm just st- sticking with the AD point. I love it. And go ahead and, and spam that. No, man, I think that th- that's exactly what we should be talking about. That's the centerpiece of like LeBron has had these really crazy plus minus numbers in part because he's been unbelievable, really rooting for him to win player of the month for November. Got a couple more games before then, but he's just been remarkable. So it's partly that, but it's also partly because the Groups without him on the floor have been so bad on offense, especially. And it's funny, the results have pushed us, I think, into the right direction of which the empty side pick and roll. If you want to run ball screens out of five out spacing, like you got to do it on one side of the floor or the other, but not in the middle. And so they've been doing that a ton. And then 
AD in the post, whether it was off of switches or off of the main big. Now, I think that that big needs to be of a certain size or below for AD to really dominate. But those are the teams that we've been playing. And Dallas is not a team that can hang in that respect. Um, Derek Lively, I really liked going into the draft of. Good shot blocker, good rim protector, also very foul prone. And so he's somebody that if the Lakers do spam kind of those paint attacks, whether it's AD in the post or LeBron on the drive, they can get him out of the game, I think. But oh, uh, AD in the post, D, his he's starting to make better passing reads. Uh, he yes. hit Wood on a baseline cut that he's missed this pass a few times this season where it was the first time where I like he really spotted it um, and – Wood got a dunk out of it. And so that I think is kind of the next evolution. And we're going to be playing better teams that will guard him in the same way that these teams have, but just do it better than than they have. But seeing AD get going on offense and like looking like himself from a couple of years ago in a lot of ways in terms of an on-ball player, super encouraging to see. Yeah, and Jason Kidd is going to test this tonight. He's going to test mm -hmm. AD's passing. Mm -hmm. um, Kidd was on the staff the championship staff, he knows that if you just let AD just ISO on, on a wing, that's death. If it, even if it's not as true today as it was in the 1920 season, like Jason Kidd saw it up close and he knows too, that if there's a part of AD's game that is not as strong, it is taking on the double and making the right read. And so he, Jason Kidd has often treated these game plans the way that like Nick Nurse has treated Anthony Davis, which is like, sorry, bro, like you're not beating us tonight. I'm doubling mm -hmm. you. We're throwing the house at you in order to make you a passer. And so this is one of those things where it's why I think like empty side pick and rolls are going to be like super important against the Mavs because I don't think they can go into the post as often um, to AD just as like, just drop it in to him and mm -hmm. see what happens. I do think they can run pick and rolls and then dive AD into the post and then look for him on like relocation post-ups, um, which is a wrinkle that they've been doing a lot this season. So I agree with you both that AD is super important against the Mavs. I just think it's going to have to come in like different ways and look yeah. actually a little bit more like the way that he did against Utah last night, but Utah didn't have the like motor and right. like they got lost a lot. I don't expect that to necessarily happen, but, um, but I am looking for AD to continue the level that he's playing to, even if it's like it's unrealistic for him to miss three shots a night and score almost 30 points or whatever. The only other thing I want to add is that it does make a big difference mentally for a team to go in and, and know that they rested their stars in the fourth quarter on a back to back. Even if that physical difference of five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, um, you know, on the legs, LeBron always says this, right? He's like, look, I, I, if I have to play 10 more minutes, that's what I'm prepared for. But like the next day, waking up, going to shoot around, just mm -hmm. just knowing that you kick someone's ass and you got to rest, I think that can make a difference. And so I, I think that can help the Lakers against the Mavs tonight. One last point on that, though, Mike, is like the last time this happened, the Lakers played the Kings yep. and the Kings came out and blasted them by pay, by playing with pace early. And so I'm hoping the Lakers have learned yeah. from their mistakes of a week ago when they did the same exact thing. The, the starters got the rest they did. the entire but fourth was, quarter. That game was three and four nights, though, was the only other thing. And so, so I is think this they one. had like, oh, that's true. 
Yeah, the it's two, almost the exact yeah, same circumstances. Yeah. The basketball is, yeah. gods will always put Touché. like sort of a, a test, like, oh, you failed it last time. We'll give you another one in a week and see if you could do it. So that's exactly the that uh, I, w- I was thinking that, too, of like we play a bad team and beat the crap out of them on the sweet IS, uh, in-season tournament court and got all the energy from that. And then the next night we play a good team and come out with no energy at all and they whoop us. And so very curious to see if we if we uh, learn from that. All right. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody who celebrates. Very thankful to all of you who make us a part of your daily routine. I don't know if we'll have another pod this week, but we'll keep you posted on Twitter about that. Uh, But until the next one, you've been listening to Lake Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Danes has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! Unbelievable. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.